You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now, and we are pleased to have as our guest Congressman Chip Roy, who represents Texas 21 in the United States Congress. Chip, welcome. No, Alan, thanks. Just thanks for having me on. I appreciate all that Secure America Now does, both standing up for Israel and defending uh, our sovereignty and the strength of the United States abroad, but uh, also standing up for strong border security. It's a great organization, and I'm proud to join you. Thank you. As, as a freshman congressman, Chip Roy is making his mark as a defender of our national sovereignty by his strong opposition to illegal immigration and his war on cartels. Last week, Chip Roy tweeted out this tweet, which I'm going to read. Shootouts at our border. Bullets coming across to our side. Cartels should be designated foreign terrorist organizations. Congressman Roy, can you explain why the cartels are dangerous to America? And who are they, and how can we defeat them? Well, I appreciate that question. As your listeners know, as you know, as any uh, open-eyed American knows, uh, we have a significant crisis, indeed an emergency, at our border with respect to uh, the lack of security, the number of people that are, that are flowing across, the dangerous narcotics that are flowing across, the increasing danger, uh, violence, uh, uh, shootings and, and the kind of activity at the border that's causing, uh, you know, a strain in the belief that we've got a secure border. The cartel have operational control of our border. Now, it is important not to just generally refer to cartels broadly. There are very specific cartels that are taking very specific action to profit off of our asylum laws, to, uh, leverage uh, the ability to exploit our laws in order to push people and dangerous narcotics across our border in a way that undermines our national security and is a danger to both Americans and, by the way, migrants who seek to come here, as we understand why they do. And cartels are exploiting that. And we should do something about it. We should treat them as the dangerous organizations that are an affront to our national security as they are. And specifically, you know, look at the organizations that are particularly problematic, such as the Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel, the Cartel del Oeste of Los Zetas. Uh, these are the kinds of cartels that are explicitly exploiting our laws for profit to undermine our well-being national security. So that's kind of how I approach it. Congressman Roy, how have you visited the border recently? And can you tell us what it's like for the ICE Immigration Enforcement Agency, the, the people who work for ICE, of what it's like to police the border? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I've spent a decent amount of time over the years at the border. I was recently there in January. I plan to go down soon again because it's changing so much. It's important to get real-time information. I'm in constant, constant weekly contact with uh, my friends at CBP, that would be our Border Patrol guys uh, that I've uh, built a really strong relationship with, and getting real-time information about what's happening. 
And if you look at what's going on on our border, Border Patrol is overwhelmed. They're being asked to do jobs that aren't specific to their job function. They're being asked now to manage the humanitarian crisis. These are people, these are children, these are human beings, uh, families. There are also dangerous individuals that you've got to separate out. They've got to now manage all of that rather than doing their core function of actually policing and uh, uh, securing our border. And they were already overwhelmed before this onslaught of the people that are coming across our border. As you know, 100,000 people were apprehended at our border in March. We know that number is continuing to go up. We know that the ones that are apprehended don't even account for the ones that are not apprehended, which at least in the Rio Grande Valley sector, where we've got a lot of flow, it's basically one-to-one. So for every individual we apprehend, we generally statistically are able to observe through cameras and numbers and talking to coyotes and giving intelligence that at least another person is coming across. So for example, we believed in January that approximately 200,000 individuals would flow through the Rio Grande Valley sector this fiscal year and be apprehended, of whom 90% would be captured and released. Then another 200,000 would come through uh, unapprehended. So here's the deal. It's actually more than that now. They're already at around 170,000 just through the first seven months. So they're heading towards 300,000 of both unapprehended and then 300,000 that are apprehended. It's an extraordinary number. You can't even comprehend what those numbers mean with the, with the uh, impact on our uh, uh, social safety net, as well as the risk to our security with dangerous fentanyl coming across our border, MS-13 and gang members, and then the increased danger by the cartels at the border. What is it that the United States government should be doing that it's not doing? Importantly, a number of things. One, we need to stop the flow and we need to do so immediately. The president and the administration is trying, but they're getting obstructed by a Democrat Congress, obstructed by certain judges in the Ninth Circuit that interpret the law uh, purposefully to undermine enforcement. And they're doing that for political reasons, but in the false name of compassion. And it's the opposite of compassion because migrants who are trying to come here are being abused on the journey. Migrants who come here are being held hostage by cartels so the cartels can profit. Meanwhile, all the do-gooders in this country that go around patting themselves on the back saying how we should be doing so much more to allow these people to come across our border, they're making it easier for these people to be exploited. But they don't care because it's politics. We're trying to do the basic duty of a sovereign nation, which is secure our border. We should stop the flow. We should send a loud message to the world. You are welcome. If you really want to seek asylum, you may. You may do so at our ports of entry or at our embassies and so forth, consulates. But you may not do it by crossing the border illegally. If you do, you will be returned. You will be turned away and be told to go to the ports of entry. It is only by doing that, by setting the ground rules, that we can enforce the rule of law and ensure that people can come here and be safe. We should be a welcoming country, but we should be a country that honors and respects both the rule of law and sovereignty. Our national sovereignty matters to protect and preserve this great republic. And that is being undermined by people who for crass political purposes are exploiting our, allowing our laws to be exploited for political gain or in the case cartels for profit.
One of the groups, perhaps the group that is most negatively impacted by the current immigration chaos are children. I have seen you comment on something that has been dubbed recycling children. Can you explain what that is, what's going on there? Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question because it's it's one of the more particularly offensive uh, realities of the current state of the border and one that is being perpetuated by the very liberals who pretend to care. We have children who are being used effectively by the cartels and or others. It's not 100% cartel-driven, although heavily cartel-driven. But the cartels and those who are exploiting our laws, they're using children as the cover to be able to claim asylum and to then, once they're here, exploit what's known as the Flores Settlement and then a subsequent uh, court case in the Ninth Circuit that basically says we can't uh, hold children in, in custody uh, for more than, I think, 20 days, give or take. And then, uh, so therefore we must release them. But then if you don't want to separate families, then it's, a, it's an excuse for an adult to be able to come here with a child and then be released. In other words, they get it. They get the joke. They know they can come here, claim to be the father or, or a guardian of a child, use the child to come across the river and, 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 and or enter our country, and then be able to be caught and released and then be able to just stay in our country. The problem is, to your point about recycling, is that these children are being used, and then they're being used again. The child will be taken, then taken back, and then used again. And they keep being used and overused. And here's the, here's the thing that people don't talk about. With all of these children that are coming here, some stay, some are then taken back and reused to get entry again. Those children are gonna be exploited in the sex trade in the United States because they're here and they're beholden to the coyotes and the cartels who will say, you haven't paid me enough. I got you to this country. You still owe me $7,000. So you're going to be forced into this sex trade to pay off your debt to me for bringing me to this country. This is unconscionable that we're allowing this to happen. It is on our watch as a country, as a civilization, that this is occurring. And if my liberal colleagues, my Democrat colleagues in the, in the House, and frankly, even a few Republicans, want to hide behind cheap labor or hide behind false compassion to allow this continue to happen, I ask one question. Do you believe we should have open borders? If you say yes, you're a fool. If you say no, you're lying about what you're dealing with in terms of policy. Because right now, they're saying we should have open borders. And in a post-9-11 world, in a world where our social safety net is overwhelmed, in a world where we are concerned about dangerous narcotics like fentanyl coming across our border, we cannot have open borders. Therefore, we should enforce the law, send a clear message, and it'll be better for our country and the migrants who seek to come here. One of the things that has struck me is that if you permit illegals to come into the country and integrate into society, It is not good for them, it's also not good for the country in a philosophical way in terms of the rule of law. You couple that with this uh, movement to create sanctuary cities and sanctuary states where the rule of law is just not obeyed. Can you talk a little bit about the undermining of our entire constitutional system by 
not paying any attention to the rule of law? Well, again, a great question. And this dovetails nicely, I think, on an area that I know is very important to your organization and making sure that we uh, stand up um, in defense of Israel and that we also stand up against uh, uh, radical uh, Islamic groups, uh, particularly as we see what is unfolding in Europe uh, with the civilization changes there. Uh, in the United States, we should be very careful about what we're doing with respect to the rule of law and, that we're, and to remember that the United States the biggest thing or one of the biggest things that sets us apart from the rest of the world is our respect of and defense of the rule of law. Once you don't have the rule of law, you have then the kind of, uh, uh, it's not even just anarchy as much as a, a world in which uh, there's nothing you can rely on in terms of your investments, in terms of, of confidence in the system. If you ask me why I wouldn't go invest in Mexico right now, it's because you don't believe that the investment's going to be protected. You don't believe that the rule of law is going to be enforced. So why are you going to go buy property or go invest in companies or, or go hire workers or go, frankly, even travel to Mexico right now because you're worried about the rule of law? It is fundamental to the success of our nation that we stand up and defend the rule of law, even when we don't like it all the time. John Adams famously defended the Redcoats, right? Uh, when when faced with, with the choice of whether to stand up with them, even though he detested what they were doing, he believed they deserved their day in court, that there should be a uh, court hearing, a trial, and that he should offer him a defense to the best of his ability. That is the foundational underpinnings of our nation, the belief in principles and the rule of law. And it is what has guided us to almost now 250 years of great success and enormous prosperity and advancement of the human condition. And instead, our liberal colleagues want to shred that, rip it apart in the false name, like I said, of compassion, in a belief that somehow they can hide behind uh, compassion and not say publicly they're for open borders, but in fact they are. And uh, that doing so would undermine our system and our rule of law and uh, damage our, our uh, sovereignty. I want to switch gears a little bit in terms of questioning. And a few years back, I got to know you actually on a trip to Israel. And as the headlines have been uh, blaring the last couple of days, Israel has been under attack with missiles raining upon many of its citizens. Can you talk a little bit about the American alliance with Israel and what is going on there currently? Well, as your listeners no doubt uh, know, because of the importance that your organization foca uh, focuses on this issue, uh, Israel is a strategic ally. And that is not just a statement about uh, sort of our overlapping uh, heritage and, and our uh, connection via faith between Jews and Christians in the United States and, and the obvious tie that we feel from a faith perspective to Israel, it is much more, uh, or, or it's at least as much about the strategic uh, alliance we have with Israel as a democracy in the Middle East, standing up also for the rule of law, standing up for the enforcement of principles uh, about equality. Uh, if you talk to with people who know what's going on in Israel, and you go to a hospital where the Israelis are treating a, a Muslim uh, from Syria, a child 
who's been injured in war in Syria, having nothing to do with Israel per se, and treating that child and then secreting them back into places uh, that would not like that they were taken care of in Israel, and they do so for the betterment of that child and that child alone, that tells you about what Israel stands for. If you talk about the equality, the number of Muslims that are treated with equality and that live in peace in Israel left alone, you know what the country stands for, while Hamas is sitting out raining missiles, literally 250 rockets over the last couple of days, fired into Israel, into civilian areas, and then to listen to those who want to blindly defend Hamas and criticize Israel is more than I can frankly stomach, including, by the way, a few of my colleagues. Israel is an enormously important ally in standing up for democracy principles, principles of equality and, and freedom in a region that desperately needs it. And uh, I think that we have uh, a president who is doing a great job recognizing Jerusalem, moving our embassy to Jerusalem, standing with Israel. I'm glad to see that uh, Bolton uh, uh, is mobilizing a carrier group to ensure that we stand up strong against Iran. Um, I would just suggest that the United States should be very clear about what, what our engagement is in the middle, middle East going forward, but that's a different topic. I would just say that we definitively will stand with Israel. One of the um, headlines in recent days, today in particular, is uh, about how the stock market is going haywire because President Trump is playing hardball with China. Do you right. support a strong response to China by the United States of America? Well, here's what I've always said about this, this particular issue, which is that the President of the United States, regardless of party, uh, has to be the chief uh, person negotiating on behalf of the United States when it comes to trade and our engagement uh, with, with other countries. And of course, that president must do so within the laws that Congress has passed. Congress has passed a number of laws over the last two, three, four decades that is laying out the parameters for trade. I think a general direction would be fair to say of free trade, opening up channels of trade. And in general, we've all believed and recognized that that is good for America, good for uh, our trading partners, good for the world economy. And I think we've seen that as the human progress has continued to grow built largely on the back of American competition, American uh, ingenuity, American economy, driving it for the betterment of the world. So I would say that the president is right to hold the line and push back on abuses of trade that are harming our interests. Um, but of course, I would also say to the president, let's let's keep working hard and get this back to, to make sure that free trade is, is flowing and goods and services are flowing. It's important, for example, in Texas, that we get the USMCA passed uh, to continue to improve the already existing NAFTA to get, keep free trade going. It's good for us, good for Mexico, good for the country. So in general terms, let's keep fighting for free trade. The president ought to drive a hard bargain. But I'll say this also about Wall Street. Whenever I see these headlines about Wall Street flipping out one day over some particular uh, law or question, um, you know, remember that this is a long game. And Wall Street starts, you know, hand-wringing about, well, are we going to get a debt ceiling passed or whatever? Wall Street wants to start trying to drive policy. And our job as policymakers is to do what's in the best interest of the country over time, not to be worried about some short-term profit gains 
on Wall Street because somebody wants to make their earnings this particular quarter. Our job is to, to create an environment for overall economic success and strength for our nation over the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years. Very well said. I'd like to close by asking you on a personal note, how has your experience been as a new member of Congress? Are there any surprises? Uh, I know that you're making your mark, meaning most of the time freshmen congressmen are, they go to work, but they're not seen or heard, but especially on the immigration stuff, very important issue, you're making your mark. What has you, from a personal perspective, how has your experience been? Well, you know, it's always tough. I'm a husband and a father. I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. And, you know, it's always tough to leave or miss a Little League game. But, but I also am doing this because I wanted to save the Republic for my kids. Uh, I'm inspired by a new class of freshmen on both sides of the aisle, but in particularly my Republican colleagues. I think there's some energy and some, some new blood that is, that is vital for the future of the country. I'm inspired by some who are willing to stand up and fight at times. Uh, I think that we've got an opportunity with us right now with a president who's willing to challenge the swamp. And uh, we just need Congress to step up and join. And so, uh, you know, I think we've got a lot of work to do on that front. The swamp will be the swamp. And if any of us are going to challenge the swamp, it will really fight back. And I'm not afraid of that. I knew about that going in. Uh, I'm willing to talk about spending and tell people, hey, busting the caps for $330 billion the last two years doesn't mean we should do it again and, in fact, go even further. That we shouldn't use national defense as a crutch to spend our children's future. That we shouldn't uh, have wide open borders. That we shouldn't, uh, you know, run away in the corner on pre-existing additions and hide in the corner and say, oh, okay, well, we'll do Obamacare light. Instead, we should go sell a message of healthcare freedom and opportunity and choice and driving down prices and what we can do for people around the world when we free up healthcare. You know, we should speak openly. We should speak directly. We shouldn't uh, be, you know, crass or mean. We should just be direct about what we think and what we believe and then let the people decide. I believe when you talk about freedom and opportunity, it sells, it wins. I wish more Republicans in Washington would embrace that. I wish more Republicans in Washington would be less concerned about losing their seat and more concerned about leading and then letting the cards fall where they may. Um, I'm enormously blessed to represent the 21st district. It's been a great, you know, four months, four and a half months, um, and uh, I look forward to continuing. Well, Chip Roy, we also look forward to you continuing your quest to set this country straight. We need more public servants like yourself. And I, on behalf of Secure America Now, we have over four and a half million members. I want to uh, thank you and also to give you an invitation to join us again on a podcast anytime that you would like to do so. We'd love to have you. Happy to do it. I'll reiterate how uh, important your organization is, how important your members are, uh, how important it is for them to stay engaged. We win this when we have support from the grassroots. Let me re repeat that. We win this when we have support from the grassroots. It is the only way to combat the swamp. It is the only way to combat the money machine in D.C. Grassroots support, grassroots contributions, organizations involved and engaged, and you guys are at the forefront of fighting for sovereignty, defending our ally Israel, standing up for a secure border, and I really appreciate it and look forward to visiting with you all again. Thank you, Chip, and God bless.
God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org.